Welcome into another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball. On this episode, we have Chad Miller. Chad is the co-founder of the Louisville Slugger Hitting Science Center. I've actually been down to his facility. It's it's a beautiful facility down in Louisville, doing some really cool stuff down there. A lot of some cool testing on players, bat fitting, biomechanics information, and that's exactly what we get into in today's episode. Uh, Chad talks about some of the the testing that he does via technology and different apps on players. We get into bat fitting and really get into the weeds of, of a lot of different things when it comes to, to hitting development and hitters and mechanics. So if you're into that, then you're going to like this episode. If you like to keep hitting very simple, then this may not be the episode for you because we get very in-depth into the science of hitting and and you know using words that some of them, I'll be honest, I didn't even know what they meant. But um, it's, it's fun stuff. I always enjoy learning new information which is part of the reason I like doing this podcast. So um, speaking of, if you enjoy this podcast and you have not already, please make sure to to leave us a, a rating and a review on wherever you listen to the podcast. So if you listen on Spotify, if you could leave us a five-star rating there, that would be huge. If you listen on iTunes, if you could leave us a five-star rating and then write a short review, I would greatly appreciate it. I, I read all the reviews and I, you know, every time we get a new review, it, it, it pumps me up. So I appreciate it. I'm not, I don't do any sponsorships for the podcast. I just ask that if you enjoy it, you share it with somebody. That's literally it. So I've, I, I do this podcast not to make money. I do it as a way to, to give back to the game. That's, that's given me everything. So, um, if you enjoy it, please share it with somebody and then hopefully we can help improve, um, you know, someone else's life through, through the game of baseball and softball. Ladies and gentlemen, here is now my episode with Chad Miller. Are now we are now live with Chad Miller, who is the co-founder of the Louisville Slugger Hitting Science Center. Chad, thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for letting me come on with you. I appreciate it. So let's let's talk a little uh, science and hitting. Um, you know, I know you've been working with a lot of different MLB teams, a lot of college players, high school players. Like, what's something that has has jumped out at you that you see across the board, um, a commonality or trait? amongst all the players that you've been testing lately? Uh, the biggest thing is actually lack of glute engagement. I think a lot of hitters actually shortchange themselves uh, really, really badly, actually, uh, when it comes to engaging the ground. And we talk about that a lot with understanding their foot profile. Um, you know, So one of the things we really talk about is whether the hitter is varus or valgus. And if they're varus, that means that basically they're big toes up. And if they're valgus, it means they're piggy toes up. So a lot of times with Varus hitters, you'll see where they'll actually get, they'll translationally load, so they'll load backwards. And so what that happens is their knee will get stuck out over top of their pinky toe. And so therefore they're really, those guys that really aggressively translationally load, they get stuck back and then they, they basically aren't able to engage their glute and they get they basically get stuck in their, in, into their hamstring. And then the other thing that happens with those guys is that then they'll become very top half dominant hitters because their sequence get out of whack. And then for valgus type hitters, which are pinky toes up, uh, they get pushed forward. So therefore, whenever they go to load, if they translationally load, they basically bounce off their back hip and get pushed forward. So therefore, their hands will drag a lot of times. And so they'll be more of your inside out type push type hitter. And so in either situation, you're seeing a situation, you're seeing uh, kind of a phenomenon where they don't get into their glute 
and they're not actually able to to engage and then really trigger um, you know trigger uh, complete gluten engagement. So therefore, they're limiting uh, their power and really kinetic energy uh, generation. So when you say big toe up or pinky toe up, like what, what exactly do you mean by up? So there'll be if 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 my foot, if you think about it, I got really uh, three points of fixation in my foot, or, or my, and I want to be able to have my big toe, my pinky toe, and my heel connected to the ground at load. And so what happens is a lot of times they get off balance, and that's the best, that's the most simple way of putting it. If my big toe is up like this, biomechanically my my leg is shifted back this way away from my away from my hip, and so therefore I come out of stack. And so whenever I come out of stack, so if you think about it, you should have an imaginary line between your, the starts at your third toe, runs up to center of your kneecap, up to center of your hip, and up to center of your shoulder. And so what happens, especially in a various, various position where their big toe comes up off the ground, it's just a natural. So 94% of all humans have some sort of foot pathology or condition that makes them off balance. And so if we really think about it and boil down hitting to its brass tacks, Hitting is all about balance, direction, and timing. And so if you're out of balance, more oftentimes than not, your direction is going to be off. And if your direction is off, then more oftentimes than not, your timing is going to be off because there's something going on uh, biomechanically that's in, is it's preventing you from engaging your glute, but most importantly, getting that hip, shoulders, hand sequencing in, in order and in line. And so with the pinky toe being up or the big toe being up, in either condition, you're going to have something that's going to impact that timing, which therefore is going to make you a, a, a different type of tendency of hitter. How are you able to test this? Uh, we use ground force pressure mats to test it. Uh, so we'll do a, a biomechanical foot profile on every hitter that comes in to work with us. So then we're able to, to decide exactly what they look like. Now, if I'm a coach, it's just out in the general population. I don't have access to ground force pressure technologies. Uh, I can look, and typically uh, guys that are knock-kneed are valgus condition guys, and guys that are bow-legged are varus condition type guys, So, which means that varus uh, means your big toe's up, and again, valgus is your pinky toe's up. Now, isn't it based on like some of the force plate information that I've seen like when hitters load back, like you want them loading in the, the middle part to, you know, back heel. So if their big toe is up or pinky toe is up, like, does it matter that much? It does, uh, because it's going to shift your shin angle uh, okay. in either direction. And so once your shin goes out over top of your or out from underneath your knee, uh, then it's very, very difficult to maximize your shear force loads into the ground. And so that's where the force plates are very, very handy because we can look at force place data. The best load you potentially could have would be 1.1 times your body weight on a volved system. Uh, typically, guys are going to hang a really uh, like a professional hitter is going to hang somewhere between 85% uh, of their body weight and 1.1 times their body weight. Guys that uh, eclipse 1.1 times their body weight typically will get stuck in their load and be very top half dominant hitters because they're being stuck in their load. Guys that go less than 85% of their body weight, you're going to see those types of hitters. They're going to be more like, again, more tight push guys that their hands are going to drag behind them. And so the force plate data is very, very, very powerful because then we can see those parameters and, and really the minimums and maximums that we're looking for for ideal hitters. When you say force plate data, are you referring, like, do you do that based on uh, or uh, through Burtek, those force plates? 
we use VOLD is our preferred mechanism. You, know, you can use Vert Vertec, you can use VOLD, you can use AMT. Uh, they're all looking at shear force type data, data points. Um, we're actually playing right now with a technology called Boogio, uh, which is really, really interesting because it's an insole technology uh, that has an app as well. So we're able to, that, that goes in your shoe. So we're able to have smart shoe technology. And so now not only are we looking at force plates, but every time you take a swing, we're able to monitor and, and really what's neat is they actually have 3D images of your feet uh, that show what angulation you're actually traveling into whenever you're load, load launch and um, land with stride on your front foot. And your front foot matters as well. Um, you know, we talked a lot about the rear foot, but your front foot, you're going to lose. We did a study uh, that showed up to 11% of your uh, kinetic energy is lost through your back foot and uh, 8% is lost out through your front foot through supination. And when you say lost through the front foot, I assume you mean like they're driving into the balls of their feet versus their heels? Uh, basically, they're rolling over the front part of their foot or else they'll come up on their heel of their foot. So typically, guys that are varus are going to roll over top of the forefoot and guys that are valgus will come up on their heel, sort of like a Jim Tomey, uh, where he'll come up on his heel. What's What's the most optimal? Optimal is to be able to keep those three points of fixation on the ground. Uh, and that way you can swing into a firm front side. And so energy is going to follow the path of least resistance. So anytime that you have a leak point, so a leak point could be rolling over the front ankle, could be coming up on your, on your, on your heel, uh, could be your front knee collapsing. Those are all uh, lead leg, lead, lead leg leak points um, that don't allow, that don't allow players to optimize their swing. So anytime that you come out of a firm front side, your hinge, your hinge point and your leak point in your knee is exponentially larger than any hinge point. So ideally, we're trying to use our front foot as that brake pedal. And if we can press down through that front foot, that's going to lock out that front side and that kinetic energy is going to follow the path of least resistance and go out through our hands. So ideally, if we're generating, so I weigh 200 pounds, if I'm creating 200 pounds of force off my back leg, ideally which we've got technologies in the works right now that we're able to track that you're you're transferring 200 pounds of uh, pounds per square inch out through the barrel of your bat and so ideally that 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 would be a great situation so now uh, once we have those technologies in place we can start working backwards to see where those where the delta is at and really where my points of loss are at how how hard has it been in your experience to help players make some of these adjustments like have you have you found that this is something that i've kind of found is like their setup is a, is a big part of, of being able to make these adjustments so they actually show up in the game like what's been something that that you've done that you've seen um players be able to make adjustments based off of this information so really just teaching them balance you know it's, it's one of the things that we always talk about is like if i was going to go squat 500 pounds today mm -hmm. you know my feet would be be my three points of fixation would be firmly into the ground. And so, you know, I, I would say that hitting a 96 mile an hour fastball is way harder to do than squatting 500 pounds. And so if I'm going to attack 500 pounds that way, then I need to figure out a way to be balanced and, and have proper direction and have a proper center rotational axis. And so when you explain that to the player and really talk about the causalities of why they're doing certain things and getting them to understand that, then we've been able to make some really big headway. So one of our best cases uh, this year was J.J. Bleday, uh with the Oakland A's. When I first started working with J.J., his posture was back, and it all had to do with his front hip. 
and really had he had some poor hip mobility in his right hip. Uh, so therefore, he was had a valgus front uh, foot. He had uh, limited hip mobility in his right hip, and then he so therefore he was really to get his barrel out. He really had to sit back in his posture. So therefore, he was pulling his bat barrel out of the zone of contact and really limiting his probability of having well-struck balls. And so what we did was we looked at film from him in, at Vanderbilt in 2019 where he had 27 home runs, and we looked at film last year, and he only had five home runs in 162 games, and we were like, okay, what happened? What happened between now and then? And what it was was a hip mobility issue. And so then what we were able to do is then work and, and really get his hip freed up, and then he did a phenomenal job of really embracing getting both feet into the ground and being able to use those three points of contact on the ground, which has been phenomenal for him. So now, you know, what I'm really excited for him is he just got traded from the Marlins to the A's, and now he's going to be their everyday uh, right fielder. So for him, it was a, it was a hip mobility issue is what really allowed mm -hmm. him to clean up his movement. Yep, absolutely. Hmm. So have you found that, that, that the feet, it sounds like for you, like the feet are, are extremely important. And maybe that's something that as an industry, as a whole, like we, we were overlooking is, is how important, how to utilize the ground. Um, you know, you talked about the points of contact within the feet. Would you, is that accurate? 150%. You know, I can't speak enough to it uh, because it's, it's, you know, how many times as coaches that we go, okay, your bat path is all out of whack. And you, you're sitting there and you're working with a guy and you're doing drill work, drill work, top hand, bottom hand. And you're like, why can't this, and to your point, and it comes to a game and the kid falls right back in the same spot they're in. And then you look at video of their feet and you're like, oh my God, I completely overlooked it. Because your body and your hands are going to do exactly what your foot front foot does. It's going to do exactly, you know, like, why does this kid, why can't he turn on the ball? Then we look at his hip and we're looking at his back hip and we we notice that his knee gets out over top of his pinky toe. And then, uh, I'm sorry, it says a valgus position. All of a sudden, his, his, his front front side goes, but his hands drag behind him, and he starts casting, and it's simply because he's a valgus back foot. And if I just were able to cue that kid, and I can't tell you how many kids that myself and Heather Keepers, who's my business partner, we've been out working with pros and say, okay, hey, get your fourth toe. I want you to press in your fourth toe and your heel. They press in their fourth toe and their heel. Now, all of a sudden, they're just absolutely raking inner half pitches because they are able to get in their glute, they're able to stack, and they're not drifting forward. Is it helpful for a lot of these players to, when they when they try to really feel the ground and, and use these, these you know, what you're kind of talking about to hit barefoot or without any shoes on? Because I'm sure it, it's yeah. got to be somewhat hard, right, if you got – you know, you're wearing shoes and to be able to, to really feel what exactly you're, you're trying to get them to do with their feet. And that's the, it's as simple as literally having them hold their foot up and then, um, and then it's just basically pressing into the ground, pressing into, I'll hold my toe or basically I'll, I'll literally press on the bottom of their foot and I'll say, you need to press through here and they'll, they'll feel it and like, Oh yeah. And then the other thing we do is a drill called hard butt, squishy butt. And so if we know they press straight in the ground and they feel the top, their, their glute fire and they press their top part of their butt cheek, if it's hard, then we know it's hard. We know that they're ready and they're set and ready to go. If it's squishy, we know that they didn't engage your glute and they basically are pressing on one part of the wrong foot or else they're translationally loading. Do you care 
like, do you prefer guys have leg lifts, don't have leg lifts? Like what, is it uh, up to them or, or is it just however they, they can I'm get a, the job done? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a very, you know, I believe hitters are, you know, every hitter has a unique thumbprint. Every hitter is probably going to have a unique approach to getting in into the load position. And, you know, again, we talked about the three basic fundamentals of hitting, uh, you know, balance, direction, and timing. If you've got a high leg lift, can you, if that makes, if that's what flaps your flippers, you know, if you can get that front foot down in time, when the front, pitcher's front foot's down, your front foot is down, and you're in a great position, then absolutely then have a high leg kick. Um, but we've been able to show on force plates, and that's the power of quantifiable data, is that we've been able to show guys, hey, listen, why are you, if you're using your leg lift as a timing mechanism, then by all means, if that's what helps you get into the point you need to be at, then use it. But we can tell you that it really doesn't matter on glute load uh, and force plate data whether you do a leg lift or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. I tell you what, it's pretty cool. Some of the stuff that that is out there right now from a technology standpoint. It sounds like you're utilizing it and constantly testing, which is I think is awesome. I think everybody should be doing that. Do you use any motion capture for like the actual mechanics and movement, like K vest or yeah. anything like that? No, we've. I you know I I, I looked at K vest. K vest is a very cost effective option. You know I think K vests are what fifty five hundred dollars or something yeah, like that. Yeah, something about that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean they're they're for a good starter kit. That's a great that's a great spot to be at, you know. And and but I will tell you, uh, there's a lot better technology out there. K vest is probably a four to five year old technology. Um, you know that's the one crazy thing about baseball. My background is in medical device, and you know if I were to come up with a medical device product today, um, it would take me three years to get it to market because of the FDA. If you and I sat here and said, "Hey, I got this great idea for the world's greatest widget." And it's going to cure every kid's swing. If we had a developer that worked fast enough, we could have it on the market by 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. And the technology just moves so fast in this space. Uh, it's, it's actually really amazing because kids are, I mean, it's the greatest. I, my college coach always says the best, best of times and worst of times ever in baseball because there's just so many widgets and gadgets and technology that uh, can, can kind of convolute kids' minds. But um, you know, going back to your question, we use Uplift Labs because of scalability and portability in our mobile lab series, uh, because we can set it up in two minutes and we're we're shooting 1.1 billion data points. You know, it uses the same technology as the Tesla topographical self-driving car technology. And so then on top of that, we use that because the reports, we get them back. We're able to flip the reports really, really, really quickly. Uh, it's very simple. And we look at X Factor, we look at all the kinematic sequencing, we look at Shoulder, pelvis, uh, hip, vo- angular velocities, um, and we look at hand speed. We look at hand drag. We look at X factor. You know, like I said, everything we can look at layback with pitchers. Uh, so for us, for us, um, you know, for us, you know, the the uplift is really a utilitarian type platform. Now, if I've got a situation where I'm trying to figure out muscle function and muscle connectivity with movement patterns then I, I have a Neuraxon platform as well, which interdig- it, it basically interconnects uh, motion sensor-based, uh, marker-based technologies uh, with EMG technologies. Mm-hmm. So now I can actually see muscle firing, nerve conduction, and then also how that impacts the, the actual biomechanics of the swing. So it's an app you said you use. I, I assume it's AI is involved, and that's how you're able to do some of these, these uh, assessments? Yeah, yeah. 
So again, it, it uses the same AI technology as Tesla uh, as they use in their self-driving cars. And so it's two iPhones. And so we're able to uh, have a, a primary and secondary camera, uh, depending on whether you're a right-handed hitter or a left-handed hitter. Uh, typically with a, a right-handed hitter, primary cameras in the, in the posterior side and the secondary cameras on the open side. And then for a left-handed hitter, the uh, primary camera is on the open and then uh, on the closed for, or on the back side for, um, for as a, of the hitter. And so we're able to look at video plus uh, an avatar plus the kinematic sequencing graphs. How much does that go for? Um, you know, that's the cool thing is we're actually putting everything together for people right now in our player evolution platform. Um, so you can get ground force technology and kinematic sequencing. We you know, Right now, their current technology platform which is ground force pressure mass. We sell that uh, for 18.5. But for the app, what'd you say that the app is called again? It's called Uplift Labs. And so the app on itself, uh, if you're just to go buy it by yourself, is about 15 grand. Uh, but because we've bundled it and it's going to be a retail product for Wilson, um, we're able to sell ground force pressure plus uplift for 18,000. Wow. Uh that's pretty cool stuff, man. I mean, to be able to just have that on your phone and be able to carry that wherever you go and you don't have to worry about hooking people up to sensors and uh, things like that. That's pretty slick. Yeah, I mean, we can set up our entire biomechanics lab in, in roughly about three and a half minutes. Well, yeah, well, you just need two iPhones, right? <laughs> two iPhones, a pressure mat, and a laptop. That's all you need because we, we actually look at, you know, and that's the one thing that I tell coaches all the time. You, you need to look at the sum of all parts. Don't just look at kinematic sequencing. Don't just look at ground force pressure. You need to look at them in conjunction with each with with each other because you're really doing your player a disservice by not doing that. Because if you're not able to generate kinetic energy from the ground and then translate it through the kinematic sequence, it's all for naught. You know, it's kind of like I tell people all the time. It's like I can I can you go squat 500 pounds, but if your if your exit velocity is only 105, or I'm sorry, only only 85. It should be 105. You know, it, it, you're, right. you're, it's all beach muscles. Yeah, and, and to your point too, it's also you also got to know like what's going on in the game, right? I mean, like how mm -hmm. like what how are they moving in the game? What are they struggling with? What are they doing well? Like, there's so many factors. That's why I think being a hitting coach is is the second hardest thing to do in sports behind being a hitter. <laughs> okay. Yeah, like I really it, do. It, it really that. is because there's so much psychology. Uh, there's so much you know, and and, and feel. I mean, that's a you know, we do science, scientific bat fitting is our, is our niche. And, okay. you know, that's the thing we always talk about. Like I, I had a hitter in the other day, Nick Laughlin from Laughlin from the um, Kansas city Royals. And we talked a lot about, you know, sequencing and stuff like that. But the craziest thing was I'm watching him swing and watching him swing and watching him swing. And this was the tape before we even got started. And his first move is head ducked. And I was like, and I go, Nick, he came in, he sat down, and I said, Nick, before we even get into our, our bat fitting, um, I need I need a question from you. And he goes, what's that? And I said, you can't see out of your right eye, can you? And he was like, what do you mean? I said, you're absolutely hammering balls on the outer, outer half. I said, but you're getting beat in a lot, aren't you, especially with pitchers with vertical rise. And he's like, yeah. He's like, I struggled really bad at the end of the season because people got my scouting report. I said, okay, Nick, what I want you to do is I want you to just start out for the next four four rounds of BP we're taking, and I want you to get your chin over your front lead shoulder. So he turns his head about roughly an inch and a half, and he goes, oh, my God. 
And I said, Nick, I'm not making fun of you. I said, you can't see Roger Rose. And because he's a right-hand dominant, uh, right-eye dominant, right-handed hitter, and he was starting out, his head was tilted about 45 degrees in medially, and he didn't have his, both eyes on, on a pitcher. So in order for his first move, his first move was to duck his head down so he could get his right eye turned. Mm. So, so he's compensating. Exactly. And so what would happen is his entire pelvic angle when his butt would shift out from underneath. I said, so what you're saying, I said, and I looked at a spray chart and I was like, all your bombs were to right center this year. I said, you didn't have a single pull home run this year. And I go, however, when you were at, uh, when you were at Baylor, all your home runs were to freaking left field. What happened? And he was like, well, he's like, I, I took a ball on the chin. And he said, mm-hmm. so then therefore I started turning. I didn't have my head turned completely. And so by him making an adjustment, I got a really cool phone call from him yesterday. He's like, dude, he's like, I am absolutely raking the inner half this year in spring training. He's like, because I can actually see the ball. And so, you know, if you, it's the old adage, if you can't hit it, you can't see it, you can't hit it. That's inc- that's a great story. Um, man, that, that it's crazy how little stuff like that, like, you know, players getting hit and then starting to compensate and doing stuff that they didn't even know they were doing because of that. Uh, it just makes it it's why it's the game is just so hard going back to you said you know bat fitting is kind of your guys's main thing so how exactly does that work because my experience and i would say knowledge of bat fitting is is minimal but uh, enough to be dangerous so i know for example you know there's there's the the bpi like there's the ba- balance point index where you know the center of mass is um on the bat and then there's you know from from zero to 100 and a lot of the major leaguers from what i've read are, are in the the 80 range high 70s 80s um what's what's some some of the things that have you've taken away from doing bat fitting you know, I, we, we have a proprietary algorithm I developed um, just to try to help Louisville Slugger, and that's really how we got off the ground. And for me, um, you know, it's all about the player's performance. Uh, you know, I, I'm different in Marucci. You know, I can tell you straight up, the way that they go about it and the way I go about it are two different ends of the spectrum. Um, I'm looking at the sum of all parts to use my, my – you know, not to use that term too much, but – um, you know, I'm, I start number one, I look at the knob. So we, we look at the knob because the knob is representative of hammy health for us and also the taper ratio to distal end. So if you look at most, um, almost all hammied injuries are done at follow through and not at contact. Uh, so that's why the axe bat in theory is a great bat, but however, the arc of supination on follow through is actually pretty poor. If you've got greater, if you got less than 21 degrees of radial deviation, then you can pretty much use whatever knob you want to use. However, if you have less than 21 degrees of radial deviation, you're really putting yourself at harm's way with an end-loaded bat and a skinny handle because the fulcrum point of that bat is right on your hook of your handmate. And you also have your TFCC, which is the ligaments that surround your, your handmate. So then you go up to the handle. So then we're going to, you know, we, we did a study. We looked at um, batting gloves, and we looked at um, pro hitter with batting gloves, Jack's batting gloves with the web, uh, batting gloves with the blister guard, batting gloves, and no batting gloves. Out of those five things, what do you think had the highest exit velocity? Well, because I've I've heard you say this before, yeah. no batting gloves, correct? Yes, because you which, have which is wild, surface. which is it's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, and it's all because of surface area contact and lack of uh, lack of kinetic energy loss 
because pro hitters, the true pro hitter is actually made out of the same material as a car bumper. So it actually acts as a shock absorber. So from a health perspective, the pro hitter is a great product, right? It's a great appliance. However, from a, um, from a uh, actual performance perspective, it's not. Uh, and it was a five mile, five point one mile per hour uh, differential uh, between no batting gloves and batting gloves as a pro hitter. And this is big leaguers all the way down to the University of Louisville hitters that we tested, which elite level hitters. And so it was very, it was very interesting. And so the surface area contact really matters. So having the proper fit handle is tremendous for that. Then the next thing we're going to do is we're going to look at a 12-inch mark and a 15-inch mark. And so that 12-inch mark is going to be indicative of really um, we want to know, are you a top hand or bottom hand grip strength type person? And that's why we test out grip strength because that's going to create micro, what I call micro whip and macro whip or a micro whip. Macro whip deals with your lead arm and top hand. Micro whip is going to deal with that little wee bit of a flick that's going to come off your thing. So if you're a lead arm dominant hitter, you're going to have more bat drag. So therefore we need to, we need to, um, we actually need to thin down your 12 inch mark. If your top hand is more strong, we can actually, uh, we can actually uh, thin down or basically make it more uniform. So because of my, if my top hand stronger, you know, I can, I can have a little bit more luxury on, uh, having a little bit more mass at that 15 inch mark. So those are my 12 and 15 inch marks. So if you're, if your my top hand, ratio, which if your top hand is the more mm-hmm. dominant one, the center of mass would be closer to the hands. No, away from the hands, away from if the your hands. top hand is. Yep. Okay. Because then, you're going to have more micro, micro, micro whip. And so then we also need to look at your cognitive, your neurocognitive function and your reaction time because your your biggest point of breakage in a bat is at the taper between a 12 and a 15 inch mark. So we need to accommodate for that. If you're slower twitch, I need to beef that up. If you're faster twitch, I can I can uh, actually make that a little thinner because you're able to have a little bit more grace. So therefore we can inload the bat more. And whereas if you're a little slower twitch, then we want to beef that up because you're gonna be more predisposed to um, judgment and judgment and basically pitch selection issues. How do you know if someone's so, a slow twitch versus a fast twitch? We do well, uh, two different types. Uh, so one, we'll do a we'll do a, a reaction dot test off of a right eye platform, uh, or else sometimes if there if there's somebody that we know that we want to really take a deep dive, we'll actually do an EEG, which is a brain synapse firing study. So we'll look at alpha, beta, and theta waves. And so then from there, we go up to three points in a barrel, the distal barrel, medial barrel, and an end barrel. And so those are all going to be based upon exit velocity scores, vertical jumps, um, bat, uh, hand speed, bat speed, and then also pelvic uh, speeds versus shoulder speed, angular velocities, and then also bat drag uh, off, of, off of motion capture and also zone of contact. So there's a lot of correlations that go into the barrel. And then the most important thing there is, is understanding internal and external rotational scores. What is, uh, are you lead arm dominant or are you top hand dominant? If you're lead arm dominant, you're going to be more predisposed to a middle MOI. Uh, if you're top hand dominant, you're going to be more predisposed towards an inloaded bat. What would you say the majority of the hitters are? Um, right now, um, you know, at the college level, there, if you look, especially division two, division, uh, division, 
division, you know, low level division one, division two, NAI, you have a ton of lead arm extension guys. Um, your high level, elite level division one guys, uh, you know, your power guys, they're all top hand dominant guys. Um, and the pro level, you're seeing a lot, especially pros that have really, really good strength conditioning coaches. You're seeing guys that are, are uh, neutral type hitters that are kind of distal mid uh, type MOI guys. So you want to be top hand dominant. You want your top hand to have higher grip strength in the bottom hand. Uh, no, being neutral is your best. If, if the neutral. more neutral you can be, yeah, the more neutral you can be, which is less than four PSI uh, on your internal external rotation scores, the more versatile of a, of a hitter you are. And how would you go about helping a hitter get to that neutral standpoint? Uh, weight room, weight room. So you're looking at guys that are top hand dominant. Uh, they're pe extremely pec dominant guys, uh, bicep dominant. We're going to be working a lot of delts. We're going to be working on a lot of triceps, a lot of lats. Um, that's those are those are all uh, you know very you know now on the flip side are guys that are more um, you know inside out type you know uh, middle middle MOI guys that have poor internal ex, uh, internal versus external rotational score ratios. You know we're going to be working a lot of anterior uh, doing a lot of anterior work. So pack bicep anterior delt. How'd you learn all this stuff about the bat, but more specifically about the bat fitting? And I know you said it's proprietary and things like that, but uh, I mean, I know you, you come from the medical field for the last 20 years. So where'd you, where'd you learn all this stuff? Uh, really just sitting for the last year and a half analyzing hitters and looking at biomechanical deficiencies and then looking at levers. So my job in medical device has always been to fix people's spines and knees. And so if you look at the lever points, if I, if I correct you five degrees here, I'm going to correct you 15 degrees here and so on and so forth. And so by just taking those same general fundamental principles, they apply to baseball. Gotcha. And so you, and that's one of the reasons you decided to, to open up uh, your own facility is to, to be able to deduce this. And then, but I mean, like long-term, like what's your, what's your vision? Cause I know you're doing some bat, you do bat fitting and you also work with MLB teams too. Like what's your vision for all this? Um, where I want to go is in where I started this was I want to be the, the number one educational instructional company in the world. And so that's really what my, 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 my premise is I want to, you know, there's 2.3 million baseball players in the United States. I want 1.8 million of those people listening to what we have to say, because, you know, what, what, and why I started this was really in honor of my dad and then also in honor of my college coach and then my business partner, Heather, um, you know, really were my inspirations for this business. Uh, from the standpoint of just giving me the, the, I would say confidence, but just really encouraging me to do this uh, because it's, you've got a lot of really good baseball people out there that are trying to learn science that are very confused. Mm -hmm. And you have a lot of science guys that are trying to learn baseball. And the problem is you have literally 2.3 million kids caught in between uh, that are being, yeah. you know, impacted. And so by providing a, a constant template and general fundamental knowledge and education around, okay, if you do this, if you do X, Y will happen. And so getting coaches to understand that that Y is very important and, and understanding that X isn't always as simple as X. X could be a combination of A plus B plus C. And so – what I want to make sure is that when coaches are out, when coaches are out there coaching, 
when coaches are out there coaching that they're applying general reasoning rationale behind what they're doing while they're coaching. What are some of the, the common mistakes that you see from coaches out there uh, across the country? Well, one we, we identified, which is not paying attention to the, of the, of the whole, whole player um, and understanding that everything starts and finishes at the ground and understanding that you know, if little Bobby is swinging, you know, is swinging and missing, it probably has nothing to do with swinging level. It probably has everything to do with what his front foot or his back foot is doing. Um, the other thing is, is that coaches trying to make players into players that they're not and trying to, you know, like, you know, trying to get kids to become, you know, like, you know, there's a situation with, with, I'll just, I'll call a spade a spade situation with the Cubs. They took a first rounder. Uh, they brought a guy in to coach him. Uh, and all the kid did was work on launch angle. Next thing you know, the kid going into the season had struck out 14 times across Entire career, and and I think he ended up having you know I think he had like three hundred at bats and he had two hundred strikeouts, wow. and so understanding that that Rome wasn't built in a day uh, is a big deal, and and understanding that every day you need to be working on one thing, not everything. Hundred percent agree with that. Yeah, that's the that is that's a fantastic point that you brought up. I think it's it's so hard for people. And I noticed this when I was in professional baseball too. It's, you know, a top prospect starts to struggle and it seems like everyone starts to panic. And it's like, you, mm. you don't realize you play every single day. You're going to have stretches where you, they perform and look awful, right? That's just part of it. And not hitting the panic button is 10 times out of 10, usually the right play, the right thing to do. And I think that's one of the things that I see is like, it's almost as if, at times coaches have too much time on their hands and they're just thinking of, of stuff to do the second a player starts to struggle. And I think that's the other piece of it. And you know, this as well as anybody, there's a lot of job justification that goes into professional baseball. Oh yeah. And I, I think that right now is a very difficult time in professional baseball because you've got really a lot of siloing going on. So you have the sports science guys trying to justify their job. You have the strength conditioning staff and you have the, the hitting staff and then you have the throwing staff. And, you know, and what's happening is, is that kids are getting so much messaging and the platforms and the communication is just not there. Like, for example, the Reds switched just their messaging platform last spring training four times. When I say messaging, they went from uh, they went from WeChat to uh, Teams to um I'm trying to think what was the other one. They used four, like literally four different communication platforms. By the end of the end of the end of the spring training, players were just in group group text messages, and so it's like you know, it's like just figuring out a communication strategy across those facets will just exponentially help those those organizations out in general. So when you go and work with some of these MLB organizations, assume you're taking all your technology with you and you know doing a lot of the testing there. What what's the feedback been from from the players? Uh, the players love it because it's so simple. We're not going in there. We're not we're not saying, hey man, you need to be 11 degrees launch angle. You need to have 15 degrees of downward hip uh, hip hip whatever hip angle uh, going into it. You know, like I was working with Kyle Isabel from the Royals and just awesome guy. And he told me nine times in our first five minutes, he worked, he trained a driveline. 
I'm like, man, that's great. It's awesome. And he's like, you know, I need to get my back hip 15 degrees towards my, my front heel or my, my back knee needs to go in a downward plane, 15 degrees towards my front heel at contact. I'm like, how in the hell are you going to like gauge that other than video and <laughs> having a goniometer there? And he's like, well, I just feel it. I feel it. I said, man, you have the most intelligent body I've ever met in my life. <laughs> and meanwhile, he's rolling over his front foot and he's like, I'm not getting my front. I'm not getting my hip down. I'm not getting my hip down. I said, actually, you're doing a really good job with your back hip. You're just rolling over your front side because you've got a freaking various front foot. I need you to just work on pressing into your big toe and your heel when you finish and locking out your front knee. And I guarantee you bombs. I'm like, because right now what you're doing is you're rolling and you're hitting a crap ton of humpback line drives and ground balls that are really, really hard. But at the end of the day, you know, you're, you're, you're going to hit a lot of ground balls. He's well, why, why, why? And I'm like, because it has nothing to do with your launch angle. It has everything to do with your front foot. Just get your front foot down to an athletic position and the rest will take care of itself. And sure enough, gets his front foot into an athletic position. And man, his bat is, his bat stays squarely behind the ball and his backspin numbers went through the roof. Mm. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I think that there's sometimes players who just have that analytical type of mind and, and want more information, which is a good thing, but, there there's a, a point of, of no return where you're just, you, this isn't a, it's a thinking man's game, but it isn't right. And so it's understanding when you need to, to utilize, you know, your critical thinking skills, whether it be approach or game plan or whatever. And when you need to just go up there and just see ball hit ball, it's just, it's hard for, for players to, to understand that because the game is so hard. And since there's so much failure, they constantly think they need to make changes, which I understand, but you know, had Andy McKay on the podcast, uh, you know, when this episode comes out, it'll be a few weeks prior. But one of the things he was talking about is how you know, the best players don't stray from their approach or plan very often, if ever. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's something for, for younger players to, to understand too, is, you know, have a, have a plan, have an approach, you know, whether working with you and whatever you guys are doing or, or anybody, and then just, just stick with it. Like it'll be better than just changing something all the time, which, I think we've all seen um, one of the, the questions that I do have for you, because I get this all the time and it may be, I'm sure it's hard to answer this for a, a wide group of people, but hear this from a lot of time from, from parents, especially high school kids younger is what, what size bat should they use? What, you know, all this kind of stuff. How do you go about answering some of these questions from players and parents on, on bat size? Should they be swinging a, a little bit heavier bat than they could or lighter? Like what, what's your take on that? Um, you know, my thing with that is let, let the laws of physics apply to you. Um, you know, and, and heavier, heavier is better, but in the same aspect, we have such great technologies out there and functionalities out there and how that it's, it's not like back whenever you and I played where you, Hey, I want you to go to the Dick sporting goods, grab the bat, hold it out at 90 degrees and or hold it out a straight line and whatever bat it doesn't wiggle in your hand, you know, that's the right bat for you. And so that's the thing is it's like use the bat that you can handle in the cage. And, and, you know, there's so many great ability, you know, you can go into dicks right now and you can swing off of a tee and figure out what feels best for you and what's going to perform the best for you. You know, and that's a very simple way of bat fitting. Um, but unless you can't, you know, that's what I tell everybody too, don't, don't buy a bat unless you try it, you know, yeah. and, and it's, it's as simple as that. 
What about different types of bats uh, based upon the pitch profile of the pitcher? Like if it's a, a, a pitcher who you has a- you know, more two seam, you know, sinker baller versus someone who has yeah, some I mean, on the fastball. We're, we're heading there. We're, we are absolutely heading there. Um, because I just was on a call with the Blue Jays organization and that's, that's exactly what they're like. Hey, we want your input on, you know, should we be designing bats for every single type of pitcher? And I'm like, can we do it? Yes. Are you opening up Pandora's box of, of players just absolutely, you know, mentally becoming dependent on bats technology, bat technology? Yes, we are. And, you know, I've had a, I've been very fortunate. I've got to know Jim Tomey very well over the last couple of months. And, um, you know, we talked about that and he was like, he goes, I like it. And I think it's awesome. He's like, but you're also going to have a situation where one, if the players are in the Meyer leagues and they're buying their own bats, they're going to go broke. And he's like, number two, he said, you're also going to have a lot of situations where you're going to have a lot of players using analytics dudes as scapegoats. Hey, you told me that I needed a C two seventy one, and I should have been singing, swinging R one six one. You know, it's your fault. And now all of a sudden, you, because the organization's mandating that, you're gonna have you're gonna have a lot, a lot, a lot of open can of worms that you probably don't want to deal with. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. I mean, the breaking bats at the minor league level, especially for players who aren't top prospects, is definitely an issue. Um, what what about blast motion? I was watching Mookie Betts the other day. He did his like day in the life of the off season, and and he's he's big into the bat speed and and using the blast motion. What are your what's your thought on that? Um, you know, I think it's a great at home tool. I think it's something that it's better than nothing. I think that it's something that guys can can use and and it can help him, help them get on plane. Now, in my facility, there's better technologies. Um, but an at-home technology to use and, and, and use as a, to get, you know, highly focused reps, I think it's absolutely a great tool. And that's one of the things that I harp on all of our players, whether they're 10 or whether they're 32, uh, is make sure every swing you take is a focused swing. Mm-hmm. And make sure that you've got, a, you've got a purpose behind every swing. The days of just going to the batting cage to hit for fun are over. Unless you're, you know, unless you're me and that's my stress relief. But, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's the, when I hit in the cage, that's, that's like going home and I'm 13 years old again. Um, but, you know, for guys that are making a living doing it or trying to make a living doing it, um, you know, you need to really make sure that you, that you take focus quality swings. What technology do you have that measures that in-house like bat speed uh, and all that? Yeah. So, I mean, we'll use, uh, we'll use Rapsodo uh, right now because we can take that out to the field for exit, exit velocity. Um, you know, we typically will look at a lot of exit velocity stuff because I'm, I'm, when it comes to the bat, I'm really looking for, um, zone of contact extension and I want to see what's their probability for me, hand speed and that kind of stuff. That's going to be correlated back to, uh, exit velocity speed. And so for me, that's what I really pay attention to is, but my moan, my most thing, my most important thing for me and the thing that i'm really working on right now is i'm actually working on a, on some pressure bat technologies because i want to see if i generate 200 pounds of load on my backside can i get 200 pounds of load out through my barrel and so that technology is not in the marketplace yet uh, but it will be very soon 
So not not worry as much about bat speed and being able to measure a player's bat speed. Mm-hmm. No. Oh, you said are, I, you... Thinking, I, I look at exit velocity. You know, you okay. know that's my you know because again. I can have the greatest bat speed in the world, but if I'm not keeping my barrel behind the bat for as long as possible, it's all for naught. Because if I've got a three three inch zone of contact, the probability of me hitting that ball hard is very little. Definitely, totally understand that. Um, Chad, it's been a ton of fun, man. Appreciate you coming on. Um, is there anything else you'd want to share before we uh, we hop off? No, I mean I, I really appreciate your time. Where we're, we launched our Squares uh, ground force tr- uh, pressure training shoe, which is uh, we're really excited about. Uh, Gen one uh, right now is going to be uh, is really we've seen some phenomenal data uh, with it, um, which is going to be really cool because we've seen an increase of exit velocity in five miles per hour on average at the major league level uh, with them, and it's simply getting guys just into a balanced position and engaging their glute um, at the uh, college level is four point three miles per hour. And at a high school level, it's been 3.5 miles per hour. And again, it's all attributed to getting guys into a balanced position. And what and are these? So, these are sh- these are shoes you guys have. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. They're called Squares uh, Squares Baseball Training Shoes or uh, Squares GFP Ground Force Platform. And then we'll be actually launching uh, a smart insole for those uh, in the next nine weeks. Uh, so it'll be the first uh, smart baseball training shoe in the marketplace. Hmm. So with the, just the, the square shoes themselves, is it what, like what's, what's unique about them versus regular, regular shoes? So they have a square toe box. Uh, so it allows your feet to widen out. Uh, then the other thing too, is they're in a neutral position. So it allows you, uh, and they've got a little bit harder of a sole, So you're not losing any kinetic energy transfer into the ground. So for example, uh, ultra boosts are phenomenal co- uh, coaching shoes, but horrible hitting shoes because they're so squishy. So you end up, I've got a really good picture of a, of a particular hitter. I can't say uh, because he's got a new balance deal, uh, but he's absolutely destroying a pair of new, new balance shoes loading into the backside. Uh, but then he's, we have a picture of him loading into squares and the difference was 93 miles an hour and 99 miles per hour off his backside. Um, wow. So it's, it's, it's a tremendous difference. Uh, then we also on the front foot, you're not able to supinate because your the square toe box prevents you from rolling over your forefoot. Interesting stuff, man. Well, I'm excited to check that out when um, when the souls come out with it too. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome, Chad. Well, I appreciate you coming on, man. Yep. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it on social media, text it to a friend, email it to another coach. This podcast is going to grow by word of mouth faster than any other way, and I need your help in order to make that happen. So if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with somebody. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back with another brand new episode next week.